and welcome back to Story Collider's Stories of COVID-19 series. I'm your host, Artistic Director Aaron Barker, and today we're bringing you part two of our episode on community. And we actually have three stories for you today instead of two. You're in luck. Two of our stories are very short, so I thought I'd include them both. Each of these stories is a really wonderful sort of day in the life of a different person seeking community during the pandemic, and I think y'all will really appreciate these different points of view. If you missed part one of Community, we shared a story from astrophysicist Emily Levesque about what happens to astronomers when all of the telescopes shut down. We also spoke with scientist Aaron Heller about his work on how new and diverse experiences affect our well-being. If you missed it, definitely check it out. For now, we'll dive into our stories from part two, starting with our two shorter stories. Our first story today comes from storyteller Adam Wade. It was recorded in his home in Hoboken, New Jersey. My name is Adam Wade, and I am originally from New Hampshire, and I've been living down in New Jersey, New York City area for like 22 years. And... uh, you know, my birthday is May 22nd, and I'm always celebrating down here. And it's usually with my friends, and we usually do fun things. We'll go to the Met game. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll take a little ferry around Manhattan. It's fun. Like, I'm a simple guy. I, I, I'm not looking for extravagant things. It's not a big party or parade, you know, Adam Wade parade. It's just, just with a bunch of friends. But I enjoy it. I like simple pleasures. Um, but uh, this year uh, was a lot different. And May 22nd. Uh, 2020, um, I'd been going on like two months of living alone um, in, in my apartment and not going out much. Uh, pretty much uh, right before uh, everything really hit hard, um, I got a, a couple uh, granny carts. I have a granny cart. I don't have a car. Um, and I, I filled it up with uh, food from the supermarket. So just like ramen noodles, rice, beans, um, you know, so just a lot, of, a lot of basic things. But I mean, for like, you know, a couple of months I was having that. And as far as exercise, uh, I live um, above like an elderly Italian lady in her backyard. It's probably like 10 yards by 10 yards and it's cement and there's no flowers. It's like, a, it's like, a, it, it's literally a graveyard without bodies, I believe, and without flowers. So it's like almost like a prison yard. It, it's the most depressing thing. It's very depressing. So, so during these two months, definitely depressed, uh, definitely feeling frustrated, scared, you know, lonely. Um, and I'm, I was starting to get cranky. And on my birthday, it was a very cranky. It was a cranky morning. It was a cranky morning. And um, my mom called and uh, my parents are in New Hampshire. And they called me from the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot. And uh, 10 a.m. Uh, Dunkin' Donut coffee run. Uh, that's typically their thing. And they'll sit in the senior center and watch um, everybody else go through the drive through. That, that's the, the excitement of, of their day, typically prior to COVID. Um, but since COVID, they were very scared. So, and they've still been doing this. Um, instead of getting coffee at Dunkin' Donuts, they make it at home, put it in the thermos, bring their mugs, go across to the senior center and watch people go to Dunkin' Donuts. So then, like they said, it's normalcy to them just to be there and drinking coffee and watching people, but they're not going, you know, they're not, they want to play it safe. 
So, um, so uh, I answer the phone. My mom's like, Adam, what are you doing? Happy birthday. I go, thanks, my, I appreciate it. I'm just trying to be low key about it, you know? And, and she's like, what are you going to do for yourself? What do you, I go, I'm just going to be here. I'm going to just going to do what I know, you know, I've been doing. She's like, you got to go to the supermarket today. I go, oh, my, I have the supermarket. She's like, put your mask on. You go to the supermarket and you get some salmon and cook it on the foreman grill. We made an investment. We spent $25. We want you to cook it on the foreman grill. Like, okay, my, I will, I will. She's like, no more ramen noodles. I Okay, Ma, okay, love you. I, so I get off the phone, and now this is huge. I mean, I haven't really left my, my area, so I start walking down the street. I got my mask on. I'm heading to the supermarket, and I go by Court Street. Now, Court Street is my favorite restaurant in Hoboken. Haven't been there, um, you know, since, since, since everything's locked down, um, and I miss it. I, I'm kind of like, I don't want to brag, but I'm kind of a big deal at Court Street. There's a picture of me above the bathroom next to Norm from Cheers. They have like a framed picture of me next to the bathroom. So come on, what does that equal? Pretty popular guy, pretty popular guy. So um, so even walking by is a little depressing. So Dan opens the door. Now, Dan's the owner of the place. Um, he's got his little, uh, you know, his e-cigarette in his mouth and he's got his uh, Brooklyn Dodgers hat. And he's like, Hey, Adam, happy birthday. And I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that he said happy birthday to me because he's, I know he's known for not being on social media. So it's like something he remembered. So that kind of, I was like, wow, that's very nice. He, he goes, where are you going? I go, I'm going to go get a piece of salmon, you know, for my birthday. I'm going to cook it. He's like, Oh, that's good. Well, well, you know, when you come back from the supermarket, come by and knock on the restaurant door. Okay. And I'm like, you know, Dan, love you. Thanks. You know, you know, but you know, I know you, in my mind, it's like giving me the guilt trip, wishing me happy, but like, I don't want to, I don't want to knock. I don't want to talk to anybody. Like I, I just really, you know, and I'm cranky, you know? So I leave, I go, I'll be back. He's like, make sure you, I go, okay, sure. So I go to the Hoboken supermarket and I'm not going to mention the name. Not nice. Not nice. $5, $5 salmon. I always get the $5. It's eight bucks. It's the same salmon. The same, like shame on you. Shame on you, Hoboken supermarket, jacking up the prices. But I get it because it's my birthday. If it wasn't my birthday, I'd probably storm out of there. But I get it because it's my birthday. I'm walking. And I'm going back by Court Street. I'm like, all right. So I knock on the door. And now it's Dan. And they, they have masks. I want to be clear. They have masks. It's Dan and Teresa. Now, Teresa is uh, the dessert chef there. And she's the best. Like, uh, you know, Hoboken, they say cake boss. Forget the cake boss. But Hoboken, go to Court Street. You know, I'll tell you, they got great chicken parm. They got great chicken francais, but like the desserts, it's like unbelievable. This woman, so she's got this color. She's always got a big smile. Adam, Adam, I love you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. She's wearing this like uh, multicolored uh, sweater that she got when she was visiting her family in, in, in Mexico. Uh, her husband works there. Martin, shout out to Martin. Great turkey club he makes. And uh, he's the best turkey club maker. And, and, and their daughter, they're just, it's a wonderful family. So she's very happy to see me and she's waving. And I'm waving. I can't see the smile because the mask, but like, you know, you can tell like by the eyes now. You tell, you're looking at those eyes and the eyes. So I'm like, all right, thank you. And she's like, no, stop. So I got, I got to get going. I, I got salmon in my bag. I got salmon in my bag. We got, you know, you don't weave out salmon. You got to put it in the refrigerator. She's like, no, before you leave, just wait one, one minute. And I'm like, okay, what, what? And she's got this package and it's, it's something wrapped in a, in, a, in a paper bag. And she comes and we do this six foot distance. It's crazy. We're on this cobblestone road. She places it down and then she backs up. And then I lean over and I open it up and it's this plastic tin. And it says, um, happy birthday, Adam, on top of it in the magic marker. And it's A-D-A-M-M-M-M-M-M. And you know what that means. Mm, you know, and, and so I, I, I just like 
like open it up a little just to take a look in and a peek in and it's um a piece of cheesecake night not a huge piece not cheesecake factory-esque they're smart it's just big enough you know it's not minuscule it's big enough perfect size with a little tin of um like strawberry uh, lotion not lotion <laughs> strawberry juice like to pour on top of it so i'm so happy um, and, and you know, I, I'm not, I don't hug them, but I like, I, I give them kind of like a, like a, like a virtual hug and they virtual hug back. And, uh, it's just really, really sweet. Um, and, and meant, meant so much. So I go home and, uh, that night, big, big dinner, get the, get the foreman grill ready, get that, get it plugged in, ready to go. Start microwaving my rice. I start microwaving my, my beans. I start microwaving my, my vegetables. I'm a, I'm a bachelor. That's how I cook. Uh, but I, in my years, my 22 years here, like I perfected that. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. So by the time everything's microwaved and ready to go, the, the salmon comes out a little well done, little well done. I mean, I like it, but it, it is a little well done. Um, so I, I mix everything and it's, it's wonderful. Then you know what I do right after that? I pop two lactate pills, two lactate pills. Um, I know what I got to do. I know what, I don't know what you got to do. I know what I got to do. I got cheesecake. I got lactose intolerant to a degree now as I get older. So I pop those. I give it a little time. Drink a full glass of water, eight ounces, ready to go. Start eating. Oh, and it is, it's, it's like the, like fireworks. It's like fireworks in my head. Um, you know, like when, when you, when you kiss someone that you love and then you haven't kissed in a long time, that, that's me with, with this cheesecake. And, um, you know, uh, I'm extremely grateful, um, for this day. And, uh, it's not the perfect birthday, um, but it's some. It's something I'll, I'll always remember, and um, it's something uh, I'll always keep close to my heart. That was Adam Wade. If you love Adam as much as I do, you'll be delighted to hear that his audio memoir, You Oughta Know Adam Wade, was released on Audible last year and was the best-selling new release in the performing arts category on both Audible and Amazon for four straight weeks. If you're looking for a heartwarming listen right now, I highly recommend it. And he has two storytelling comedy albums which have been released to rave reviews and you can find them on iTunes. Our next story is from Amy Siegel. It was originally told at one of our monthly story slams last fall. It was recorded in her home in Arizona. I am that person who writes to random strangers. Well, not random strangers, accomplished strangers. Strangers who write for the New York Times or give TED Talks. And when it comes to my response rate, my stats are not great. As in, not a lot of people write me back. But this somehow doesn't deter me. And last May, there was an article in the New York Times by an ornithologist who was somebody who studies birds and it was called Seven Tips for Watching Birds During the Spring Lockdown. Now, I am not a bird watcher, but I had been watching a bird. And I met him in March on one of my first daily walks during the lockdown. And he was perched on top of a streetlight next to the park, and from a distance, I thought he was a hawk because he was quite large. But as I approached, I realized that he was just a crow. And I was kind of disappointed in this, but as the weeks passed, I grew fond of him because he was there every day, surveying his kingdom or flying around. And one day he swooped down just above my head and I decided he was saying hello 
because we had known each other for nearly two months by then. And on the day after that article appeared in the Times, I set out on my walk, turned the corner, and saw him lying in the street, dead. And I froze. And then I found myself saying out loud, why did you have to go into the street? And I wanted to give him some sort of a proper burial, but I wasn't sure if it was safe to touch him and there was traffic coming. So as I'm standing there trying to figure out what to do, I looked up because above me were two crows caw, caw, cawing incessantly in a super high pitch. And I had never seen my crow with any other crow before. And so I wondered if they were friends because they seemed to be truly mourning. And because I don't know anything about the social behavior of crows, I wrote to that ornithologist when I got home because I wanted to take some solace in knowing that he wasn't alone. And I told him what happened and I said, do you think they were friends? Now, based on my track record, I wasn't expecting to hear back, but a few days later he replied and said, what a sad story. And yes, crows are very social and very intelligent. I definitely think those crows were flockmates and recognized that their friend, which he put in quotes, was dead. The best help I can offer is to point you to a blog by a researcher who has spent a lot of time on this question. And I clicked on the link that he attached and it took me to a blog called What Are Crows Thinking When They See Death? And the first line was, I'm actually not going to be able to answer this question for you, but I'm closer than I've ever been because they are now doing neuroimaging on crows' brains. And in the past, they were able only to rely on observational data. So they know that crows acknowledge they're dead and do things like alarm calling, which is what I witnessed, where they caw incessantly for 15 to 30 minutes. And they know that crows have been known to hold funerals, as in they'll take twigs in their beaks and drop them one by one on a dead crow's body. And the researcher said that in the past, when they wanted to look inside of a crow's brain, they would do surgery, which is often lethal. But now they can inject a crow with a short-lived radioactive compound, create a stimulus of, say, a recording of a bunch of wild crows in a cornfield in Iowa cawing and eating. And when the crow in the lab responds to that stimulus, the radioactive compound accumulates in the part of the crow's brain that is most active and stays there for long enough for them to sedate the crow, put it under a PET scan, as in the same PET scan that they use on humans, and see which parts of the brain are lit up. And they're starting to map regions of these crows' brains that might represent fear, or memory, or reasoning. And they say that it doesn't hurt the crow because they're using a short-acting tracer that flushes out of their system. It's actually the same thing they use on humans when they send us through PET scans. And when the crow wakes up, He's released back into the wild. So I've started to follow this researcher's blog, and since then, I've reached out to two other accomplished strangers, both of whom have written me back. So that makes me three for three in a very short period of time. I know it's because people have extra time on their hands these days, but I'll take it because it's a huge improvement to my stats. Now, I wouldn't say that I have three new friends, but I like to refer to them as my flock mates. That was Amy Siegel. Amy works in finance in New York, but was born and raised in the desert where she's currently residing. 
Before we move on to our final story of community, I want to remind everyone yet again that we have online storytelling workshops every month if you're interested in learning more about how to tell stories about science. Registrations are now open for February courses. Find out more at storyclider.org workshops. Right now, along with our Chicago producer, Lily B., I'm leading our advanced storytelling workshop. We're having a blast. I can't even tell you. So get involved. We would love to have you as part of our workshop community. I'd also love to hear more from our listeners as we contemplate where the Story Collider podcast will go next. We're currently gathering more stories about COVID-19 to share, but we may take a break in between our COVID series if our listeners would, for example, like to think about something that's not COVID (laughs) for a brief period of the day, if that's possible. So let me know what you think. You can reach out. My email is erin at storycollider.org. That's E-R-I-N at storycollider.org. I would love to hear more about what you think about the stories that we've been airing for the past several months, what you would like to hear on the Story Collider podcast, any comments that you have to offer. And we really are appreciative of everyone who has written in their compliments on these stories. Right now, we don't have a live audience, so it's such an amazing thing to be able to hear your thoughts and feelings about these stories since we can't see them in real time. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to the whole Story Collider team. It means a lot to our storytellers, especially. So if you have thoughts, feelings, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Our last story of community is from Eve Alvarez, doula, podcaster, and much more. The story was recorded in her home in the Bronx here in New York City. So I'm waking up and the cool thing about our new bedroom is that we don't have any curtains in the bedroom. So I live in the Bronx and I get to look over at Harlem and Typically, on any Sunday morning, the first thing that I see are like the clouds in the sky, which I really enjoy. This particular day, I'm looking at the clouds in the sky, and then I'm also listening because my mom is in the next room, and sometimes she likes to kind of get up and walk around and touch things. Um, and they can end up anywhere. They can end up broken. They can end up on the floor, and they can also end up in her diaper right? That is her secret hiding place. So I'm always listening to hear. I'm also thinking about all the things that have happened that particular week because it is a Saturday today. And I know that, A, I want to take my son to like what I consider to be his first official like rally. I'm feeling really excited about that. And, um, and I'm also thinking about the fact that in the last week, my mom has lost two siblings and that we have not been able due to COVID to celebrate them, to honor their lives in our cultural norms. Um, another really, really good friend of mine had lost his mom. And so we've been doing a series of Zoom funerals, which are tremendously heartbreaking and difficult and have taken quite a bit out of me. Um, on top of everything else, in order to get to this rally and protest, I can't take my mom because A, my mom is 80 something, B, she has Alzheimer's, C, she's afraid of steps, and I live on a fourth floor walk up. So that means that in order for me to make all of this work, I have to then get my partner to be helpful. And even though he typically is helpful, we're also in the middle of a fight. And I don't know about y'all, but when you are having a fight with your partner, the last thing you want, at least the last thing I want to do is to have position myself to be like, yeah, I need you to do something. I'm the type of person that I'm like, no, I don't need your help. 
thank you, right? <laughs> Which is completely different than the way that I operate most days. So that particular day, I'm thinking about all of these things that are just like happening and ugh, I'm exhausted. And so eventually I don't hear anything. I get up, I make some coffee, some tea for my mom, a little toast and breakfast and get her ready for the day. So that means showering, that means diaper change, figuring out what's in the diaper because you don't ever know what's going to be in the diaper. Um, seriously, I have found uh, thread, uh, earrings, remotes, especially the remotes somehow they get up in there. So, um, <laughs> so it's definitely a difficult thing. And so, you know, at a certain point of the day, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to go to this rally protest. My son is getting ready. And I'm actually surprised even by that because he's 15 and he's spent the last couple months in his room and kind of not wanting to do much and saying like, ma, we're not supposed to go outside. So for him to be ready to go to this is a big deal. But there's a really important hiccup, which is that I haven't confirmed with my partner what it is that he's going to be doing for the day and if he minds staying with my mom. So I finally have to like, you know, kind of, I guess, bite my tongue and, you know, swallow whatever frustration I have and just kind of say like, oh, so what are you doing today? Like, fine. What are you doing? And he's just like, nothing. Like, you know, why? Because he's not even upset. I, it's me. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to go with my mom. And I was wondering if you could just watch her for a little while while I, while I take Sam to the rally. And he's just like, yeah, no problem. And I was almost angry that it went that easily. Because you know what? You just almost want something to like happen so that you can continue to feel angry. And then all of a sudden you're like, just that's it? You just going to be nice? When I wasn't even ready to be nice to you? Fine. So... My son and I start, you know, he's already half ready. I'm starting to get ready. I'm making sure that my mom is okay. So by this point, I had already changed her. I'm changing myself. And then I realized, wow, what, what is a rally if you can't bring your, your, your cool posters? So I managed to like cut up some boxes and put some markers in my purse. And I was like, we're already running late. So what we're going to do is make them on the train. So we get on the train, which is my first time, my son's first time on the train in months. So I was already pretty creeped out. Like I'm sitting on the edge of the seat, looking around, trying to social distance and really excited. Um, what was exciting though, was that on the way to the train station, there were a couple of people that were like, oh, y'all going to the protest? All right. You know, and I felt like one of the cool kids. Like I was like, yeah, we are going to the protest. Yay. You're recognizing us. So we get on the train and my son and I are doing, um, you know, we're making our, our signs. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to switch colors. You know, I'm making it cool because that's just what I do. And, you know, we finally get off. We get off the train and we walk over to Washington Square Park. And I don't know what I was thinking, but whatever I was thinking was completely different than what it was. There were thousands upon thousands of people, like literally every inch of that park was packed that particular day for this rally. And I mean, we had masks on and everything, but I was just like, wow, there's no social distancing here and people are super excited. And that both got me like super hyped, but also really scared. Like I was just like, oh snap, I've been watching this on TV for the last couple of months. And so these, this is another level. Um, so we're getting there and the speakers are super like activated and motivated and we're holding up our signs and all of a sudden, it's like the sky opened up and it's all this rain that is coming down. It was so bad. We had to use our carefully crafted 
posters as like umbrellas for a little while. And all I could do was look up and see all the streaks of the markers that were like coming off because it was raining. But you know what? To my utter awe and amazement and surprise, no one moved. People were still there in the middle of the rain and they were just listening with fists held up and clapping and supporting and, and saying everybody's names. Um, that was, that was a powerful moment. And so eventually we left for a little while. The sun comes back out. We left for a little while, came back, get something to eat. And we come back to the park because I wanted my son to see like, this is an all day thing. Like these are commitments that people are making, right? Social justice is a commitment. It's a lifestyle. And so we end up leaving because I was like, oh snap, you know what? We have to go get my mom. By this point, it's been a couple of hours. I'm recognizing that she might need to have her diaper changed. And there might be a remote in her diaper, like I told you before. So being ready for that. So then, um, and this, by this point, I'm starting to notice, oh my goodness, my phone is at like 15%, like completely just about to on its last leg. But I also look up and that coming down, I think it was university, like coming down university is another group of people that are like in a march, they're in a protest. And I'm telling my son, like, you know what, this is a rally that we just left. This is a protest. I want you to experience that march. So let's join them for a little bit to the train station. And then we'll be able to just get on the train and go back uptown. And so we cross, you know, we, we get to that first corner where the train station was. And my son is like, no, come on, mom, we got to continue. We got to continue. And then on the next street, all of a sudden I look over and they stop. The, the march stops and people start taking a knee. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like, what, what? I'm too old for this. I can't be getting up and down. And my son looks at me. He's like, Ma, come on, you embarrassing me. Like, come on, just get down. And I'm like, how difficult is this? So he ends up folding his poster that he had made, like, you know, his, his sign. And he's like, just kneel on this. Like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And I was like, okay. Oh, okay. And I was really like that old person in the sea of young people that was really struggling to even like get down. I'm wobbly. Right. And after a few minutes, they get back up and they continue to march. And there are all these like memorable places, memorable pieces, seeing all the, all the stores that had their, um, they were boarded up in the front, right? There were groups of people that were saging people. Uh, was it on Lafayette Street or something? And it's just like, wow, like, yeah, sage me, sis. You know, like, I need all that. I need all that good energy. So there were tons of people that were there. And literally for as, as far as my eyes can see, I see people in the protest, in the march. And that was really, really powerful. Um, even the, even the drivers were patient because, you know, you have to wait for all of these people to pass by. And it's literally thousands of people that are passing by. So even they were patient. And so if you, if you've ever been a driver or you've driven in New York City, you already know that New York City drivers are completely impatient. Um, and so that was pretty awesome. And so we get, to, you know, we keep marching, we keep marching. And by this point, it has really hit me that I have worn the absolutely incorrect shoe gear. I have on Converse sneakers and Converse sneakers are not the shoes to wear to anybody's march, protest, rally, nothing. Okay. Um, and I'm, we're still walking, we're still walking. And so finally, you know, we're walking, we're protesting my, uh, my fists are up, my, you know, I'm loud. We're holding up our signs and we get to what I think is the end of the, of the protest, which is by Brooklyn bridge. So I'm thinking like, Oh, this is amazing. Like, you know, we did it. I'm going to high five my son. We're stepping into the, into the street when all of a sudden 
someone who I guess is like one of the leaders of the protest is like, no, miss, like we're not done. Come on, we're turning this way. And I was like, what the hell you mean we ain't done? And my son is like, Ma, come on. And by this point, I'm looking at my phone. It's at like 4%. I quickly send a text to my partner like, look, I'm at 4%. We're in this, you know, March protest. Um, you know, Sen being my son, he's activated and he's energized about it. So we, I really want to continue. Um, I hope y'all are okay. If y'all not okay, we'll figure it out. So... You know, we keep going and we eventually get to the end of the protest, the official end of the protest, which was the like by the World Trade. Well, I guess it's like by the um, by the path train. Um, and so that was really and then all of a sudden somebody comes with like a like a speaker and they start playing pop smoke and people are like dancing up a storm. And I both am in awe and also in pain. Because by this point, my knees and my feet are like, yeah, no mas, go home. And I look over at my son and he's 15 and he's just excited. He has just participated in something. And I know I can see the pride in his face. And I'm just excited for him and excited for me. Like, I'm feeling like, yes, mom achievement level unlocked. Like, I did this, right? I introduced you to this. Um but then we also still have to go home because I'm still having to deal with like a partner that potentially could be angry at me now for like telling him that I was going to be back at four or five. And by this point it's going on seven 30. So we're not going to be home before eight. And also a mom, I don't know what I'm going to find. Right. Um, depending on what she's eaten or hasn't eaten or what she's been able, you know, whether she spent time by herself, what she's been able to like hide. So I'm a little bit, um, well, actually, and by a little bit, I mean a lot of it nervous about that too so we get on the train and almost immediately i am exhausted like i want to pass out my son I'm, my phone is dead by this point i can't even play like a little distracting game um and i just kind of close my eyes and i wake up my son is like come on we're here like <laughs> this is our station so we walk over and i'm by this point my feet hurt so bad that i am I'm so tired. I'm just tired. Like I don't even have anything else left in me, but I was walking slowly, but I'm also like walking with some level of urgency because I don't know what I'm going to find when I get up, you know, when I get to my mom. And by this is like, when you're dealing with somebody who uses a diaper, the diaper could be dry. The diaper could not be dry. And the last thing that you want to do after walking, what I discovered with 22,000 steps, right? Shout out to my Fitbit is to have to spend like another 15 or 20 minutes fighting somebody to take a diaper off, having to change. Again, I don't know what's going to be in the diaper. Sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes it's batteries and earrings and watches and whatever little things you leave on the table. So I'm really hoping that this particular day is a day that she's going to be cooperative and that she's not like starving. It's just a lot of things, right? Because I also want a moment to like debrief with my son. I want a moment to like reconnect with my partner. I want a moment to just sit with myself and be like, wow, what I saw today was really amazing and powerful. And so I get, you know, I'm walking slowly up the stairs and, you know, kind of one of those like in dread, like, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to find. It's deep side. <sighs> right. And, um, and we get upstairs. And he, they just both say hi. Like they're sitting on the sofa. The sun is, you know, setting. My mom looks absolutely just really beautiful and regal sitting on the sofa. She's drinking lemonade, chilling, completely chilling. 
Um, my partner's like, oh, I make chicken in the crock pot. You know, the, that's his specialty, crock pot chicken. And, um, and my son, you know, kind of goes back into his room and is like, mom, I'm so tired, you know, but of course, as a 15 year old goes to heat himself up a hot pocket while the chicken in the crock pot is cooking. And I kind of just sit there and in awe, like, I was just like, okay, so everything is cool. So you mean everything is cool? Like we, we were able to actually get this all done. And I start to realize how many times, at least for myself, like how many times I've actually taken a moment to, I, f- I end up feeling so worried about things all the time as a caregiver that you don't often get a moment to just sit with the gratitude, right? And sit with the idea that it doesn't just take one person to make these things work, um, but that it takes many people and that you're part of a, you're a, a small cog in a big machine, but I'm also really grateful to be that. And um and I, it was just an overall like exhausting day, but it was also a really, really good day. My son was really excited and, you know, got his um, social justice warrior on. I was excited. My mom was chilling. My partner was cool. So definitely grateful um, in a season that has taken a lot from us. Uh, just grateful for what you have and what is. That was Eve Alvarez. Eve is a mom, doula, trainer, and founder. She also shares caregiving duties for her mother who has Alzheimer's and likes laughter, 90s R&B, booty shaking, romance novels, and sunsets. The Story Collider is so grateful to Adam, Amy, and Eve for sharing their stories. Story Collider is also grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast series was produced by me, Erin Barker, with assistance from Story Collider's Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg and Senior Podcast Editor Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board, our Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, and our Interim Executive Director Leslie Griesbach-Schultz, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's installment were produced by me, Erin Barker, and our Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg. The theme music is by Eva Gertz of the Fulton Street Music Group. Stay tuned for next week's episode on the theme of clarity. Until then, this is Story Collider signing off. Stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, love each other. Thanks for listening.